Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD for December 4th, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Mark Ritchie II. He is the Managing Partner and Chief Investment Officer of RTM Capital Advisors. Thanks for being here, Mark. Thanks for having me. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current market, the importance of tracking your trades, and then we will end the episode with three current stocks. So let's get into the current market. We are currently in a confirmed uptrend. Uh, we have five distribution days on both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, but indices, they continue to be near new highs, even though they got hit for a couple of days. Leading stocks, they, they found some support at key support areas. Mark, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yes, interesting time to be on. So I would say, we talked about this yesterday, Rusha, it was kind of funny in, in prep. And yeah. It was about, what, 11 a.m. or something, and I said, this is kind of a key spot here. <laughs> right, uh, right. We need to find some footing. And sure enough, uh, you know, the bulls kind of came right in on schedule, but you know, for our clients, we've been as long as we've been probably in the last 18 months. Wow. So, you know, for uh, those who aren't aware at RTM, we really just gauge the overall uh, risk as, you know, looking at all the different stocks, different groups, and then trying to gauge market health that way. And we've been pretty cautious generally speaking we're sort of underinvested really all year mm -hmm. until the last couple of weeks we were market weight and we're overweight now and we haven't we haven't sold anything yet um, in terms of pulling back on the exposure the main reason is because of uh, the action the smaller caps look like they're finally making a turn and you know if you want we can look at a couple different examples of what I'm looking at we can bring up a you know chart of the Russell and then I think sentiment is still, at least according to our work, favoring the long side. I think there's an awful lot of skepticism, pessimism. We can talk uh, if you want in terms of some of the specifics that are leading me to say that because I know sentiment can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah. So let, let's first start off with the small cap. So you're looking at the Russell 2000 uh, to get a gauge on how the, the small caps are doing. And that recently actually finally broke over 1600 right so which was kind of a we've been waiting for that for a while it's been come it's come close a few times but then it would just kind of go back to the bottom part of its range but finally it broke through last week and of course it came and tested that 1600 level but uh, so far so good yeah i think if you look at the chart um a couple of things to point out the first would be we've really been in a pretty decent bear market since 18 mm -hmm. and while some of the other indexes have you know looked like wow we made new all-time highs even they haven't really gone anywhere but the Russell has made has remained pretty well below all-time highs and you know it lost almost 30% of its value peaked a trough there in late 18 that's that's a pretty big cyclical bear market from where I sit, and then yeah. if you look at some of the individual groups, they've gotten hit pretty badly. And you know, a lot of the traders and people I talk to, or if you speaking with people like yourself, Arusha, going like, "How's it been trading growth stocks?" It hasn't. It hasn't been easy. Not that's at all. For certain. Yeah. And I think it's because a lot of uh, you know more tactical growth type managers 
they don't necessarily equally correlate with the Russell, but if the Russell is really continuing to, you know, as you said, to look like it's going to break out and then roll over and look like it's going to break out and roll over, that's kind of what you're going to see. You're going to, you're going to get a little more aggressively long and then have to pull back. And generally speaking, you know, we've sort of been underweight for that reason sort of all year. We made uh, sort of what looks like a technical or tactical turn last Monday and mm -hmm. You know, as I said, we're overweight right now, but I can. There's a couple things I'm watching, but uh, you know, I'm watching the tea leaves really closely. So, speaking of the last couple days, if you look under the surface, a lot of the growth stocks that have have sort of led us in the last four, five, six weeks have held up pretty well. Yep. And, and you know, we keep a secondary watch list of just anything that looks healthy to us that's leading the advance in specific areas. So it would sort of avoid, you know, your uh, blue chip type names or your cyclicals. And all those groups, I mean, normally, so one of the things I use is I go through that list and if everything is just getting hammered, usually my portfolio isn't doing very well either. Right. But it sort of just gives me a good measure of, well, what is the stuff that's you know, sort of been leading, holding up, or maybe putting in consolidations. How's it acting? I think I only kicked off a few names in the last couple days. And given that we fell, you know, some 70, 80 handles in an index like the S&P, often you would expect that some of the small caps, you know, really got hit. And, you know, you can see the Russell declined the least and held up the best. Well, that's a pretty good sign. That can change quickly. Right. And so that's kind of what I'm, I'm watching. The other point I would make in terms of, you know, just sort of sentiment, uh, we're speaking sort of broadly. It's been very hard to gauge looking at some of these classic sentiment indicators of what people are doing. So, such as well, the, the most classic well, one, the put call so, ratio, right? Uh, well, put call we can talk about, yeah. but uh, that one I think is actually one I think is a little more accurate because it says what are people doing versus what are they saying and this is something you always want to pay attention to when these surveys say like newsletter writers well newsletter writers of course are going to say they're bullish when the markets are making new highs generally speaking because they don't want to look silly but it doesn't mean that they actually bought anything right. and it doesn't necessarily correlate to what their actual positioning is and that's what I'm trying to always figure out. I'm looking at sentiment. So it's more important for us to gauge where do we really think the wall of worry level is. Are people really skeptical, nervous, not believing the rally? Yeah. From a contrarian standpoint, would tend to make us uh, more constructive. And, you know, a good example would be today, if you click on <laughs> CNBC right now, they're calling this a blow-off top. Well, that doesn't seem like there's a lot of confidence, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but I'm saying, generally speaking, <laughs> if you're reading on something like CNBC, the market just put in a blow-off top, I, I, I want to take the other side, especially when I see a lot of stocks that are holding up okay, and we just came out of an 18-month consolidation. Right, and and you also don't see a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah. There, there aren't a lot of people like... So excited that how well the stocks are doing and things like that. It's more the wall of worry. It doesn't seem that way. And there's an awful lot of people, as soon as, uh, you know, our president said anything about China, wham. Right. 
Right. Down goes the market. And I'm not saying we sh- you have to watch the tape very closely here. And this is where I would encourage anybody in sort of this swing trading, whether it's growth stocks or any of these type of groups that have been trading this move, or maybe you're even just looking to get involved now. Maybe you didn't believe the move. I, I think you're okay to, to nibble here, but you got to watch the tape closely. You got to listen to your stops. I mean, this we saw this briefly in May as well, where it looked like the Russell was going to kind of make a turn and lead a little bit, and then it it kind of cracked really hard. Right. So that can happen. But to your point, I you know I I kind of try and keep a finger on the pulse of a few different things, and we just haven't seen a whole lot of people pounding the table bullish. Seasonally, uh, we can look at a couple of examples of things I'm kind of looking at even within the charts of sort of some past precedents, if you will, in terms of the charts. But the one point you mentioned put call I would make is that I see that as something that's a contrarian or sentiment indicator that at least reveals what people are actually doing versus what they're saying. If you're buying puts, you're nervous yep. and you're, you're risking money based on that nervousness. And we saw, uh, it was about two weeks ago, uh, you can you can look this up, you know, on the index, total index put call volume, we had a two or three year record high spike after like a one and a half percent pullback. That tells me, you just don't see that very often. Normally you see that at capitulatory, right. you know, puking out the lows yeah. type, you know, fear. Yeah. Two percent off the highs. I mean, so I would think that pullbacks here should be uh, very shallow. And so far, I'm not saying the lows are necessarily in from two days ago. But so what I would look at specifically is one. Obviously, if those lows hold, that's a great sign. But if the market's undercut, say you know yesterday's lows, but stocks, the leading groups don't even come close. I think we're in really good shape. And the best case scenario for me, and if you want, we can look at a couple of charts. Even if you go back to, say, like the S&P in the same period of time in late 13, this is just looking at the index to kind of give you, you know, an idea of kind of how I look at things. I'm always kind of reviewing things in my mind to say, how has this happened before? How might this rhyme with periods in the past where we had pullbacks with the market you know, was actually masking a lot of strength versus weakness. Right now, I think the indexes are kind of, you know, they're taking a breather and that's fine. But in in late 13, we had a very similar period where indexes right around this time of year pulled in after we'd had a four or five week run. And the market just marked some time for a week or two and then powered to new highs into the end of the year. Same thing happened in 2010. So those are two precedents I think you could look at and in both cases I can remember the markets kind of being in this consolidation and there were just stock after stock after stock that looked really good where I remember thinking I just don't think there's any way we're going to roll hard here because there's just too many stocks that look so good so I think that's really the big key I'm I'm not there in terms of wow am I just growing horns bullish yeah uh you know but I could see myself there even in a couple of days. If we, if the index is put in a couple of tight days here, volume dried up, and I think even as the market started to, to, to move back toward the highs, you'd start to see the bears go, oh, the volume's not there. This isn't a real rally. And that would tell me I think we, we're probably going to rally into the end of the year. 
Perfect. So the indices continue to hold near new highs and stocks. They found support at key support areas and, and they continue to act constructive. Let's take a quick break. But when we return, we are going to talk about the importance of tracking your trades. Stay tuned. Hey, Arusha here with a big announcement. We have launched a brand new interactive video broadcast called IBD Live. IBD Live takes you behind the curtain to see how professionals trade. Log on and watch live as IBD's analysts and portfolio managers follow the first hour of market action and pick winning stocks. You get to listen to our conversations, see our screens, and ask us questions all in real time. If you've ever wanted to trade alongside a team of experts, this is your chance. Go to investors.com slash IBD live and sign up to get your first two weeks for free. Mark Ritchie is our guest on investing with IBD. Okay, Mark, let's talk about the importance of tracking your trade. But before that, you know, we spent a lot of time on the market, which was excellent. Let's just spend a couple of minutes on how you got into investing. You have a very, very famous father who was featured in Market Wizards. Uh, but yeah, why don't you briefly talk about how, how you got into this whole thing? Yeah, I'll be brief on that, I guess. Um, so really, I had no interest in markets, in, generally speaking, growing up. It wasn't that, um, I just didn't understand it. I had no idea. You know, it wasn't something that was actually talked about at home or anything like that. So people like, I get the question sometimes, what was the secret sauce your dad gave you or whatever? I don't want yeah. to say it was nothing, but <laughs> in terms of actual trading, I never traded on a floor. Um, and my dad was pretty much, almost wasn't really retired by the time I kind of got interested. Okay. I did go to work for an old uh, associate of his, um, you know, sort of after college, really um, a time or two kind of briefly. And... You know, the short story was I kind of headed uh, in a, what I thought was a, was a completely different direction. I have a philosophy degree, which does not have anything to do with markets per se, although I think uh, there's a lot to be maybe said about logic and discipline and those types of things. For but sure. um, yeah, I really was just looking for a job. So I went to work for somebody who had been a sort of off the floor trader for my dad. And that whole endeavor really ended spectacularly badly uh, <laughs> without getting into the gory details. But during that time, I kind of got the bug, I guess, and just kind of watching the markets a bit. And, and I had a little bit of freedom to put on a few trades here and there, that type of thing. And realizing that I didn't know anything about this stuff, but was really just intrigued by the idea of why are people buying and selling and mm -hmm. why why do certain markets trend and others don't and uh, all of that kind of stuff is this can you develop a strategy or repeatable process um, you know that is consistently profitable all those kinds of things and so just started reading and doing all that kind of stuff and yeah. uh, through I guess you know luck or uh, divine guidance depending how you look at it wound up on my own in uh, 2010. So, and it was just sort of a process of trying to figure out what works and doing more of that. Uh, and that kind of, you know, to the, to the point we were discussing uh, about 
tracking your trades and figuring out what works is sort of what led me to what I'm currently doing. Yeah. Uh, um, because I'm just a big believer in stats and numbers and those, those types of things, which is, um, not sexy, um, but really important. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is a, a big part of, of the process and, and it, and it helped you continue on the right direction for you. So let's go into that importance because this is it's a very easy part of investing to overlook because it, it isn't sexy and it's 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 really ugly in many in many ways and and it's uh it's not fun to do yeah i don't know about the fun i wouldn't <laughs> necessarily say that it's not fun but well for most most people sure no I, I, I know exactly <laughs> maybe for you, you. <laughs> no, oh no i know what you mean by that so uh you know, to, to pick up even from my own story. So when I started out, I had a couple ideas and this is what I would encourage anybody on any level that's interested in speculation, whether it's long-term investing, short-term trading, it, you know, it doesn't matter. You have to, uh, have some type of a process or some rules or definitions to something. Otherwise you're really just gambling. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, in the example I had given, I had a couple ideas. They were all really systematic. I shouldn't say really. They were, you know, was, I was sort of almost like a just quant. I'll just do this. I'll, you know, but I kind of had a couple of different little uh, strategies or buckets. Well, I quickly realized as I was just watching the markets and putting on a few of these trades that I had some of my own, for lack of a better word, discretionary views on the stock market itself. And so one of the good pieces of advice my dad did give me, uh, he wasn't uh, trading with me or anything, but I was just talking about this and saying, well, I think the market's going higher right here. And I don't have any, uh, I don't have any system or model that is buying anything. You know, I want to buy this. And um, he said, well, just, you know, allocate a little bit of your chips, if you will, or capital mm -hmm. and trade those, you know, do some you know, what he would call seat of the pants trading, you know, that's sort of an old floor uh, guy phrase for discretionary trading, just uh, do some discretionary trading. So I started buying breakouts, uh, using technicals and, uh, you know, grabbing magazines like IBD or finding stuff uh, on stock twits or different places and setting stops that made sense to me. Yeah. But I was tracking all the numbers within that, within that trading. Well, and it was working. <laughs> so... Yeah. You know, you'd be crazy not to keep doing something that's working, right? right? Right. And before long, that was a mainstay in really one of the biggest strategies in the portfolio because I was doing so well doing it. Now, I had a lot of things to learn, of course, and reading lots of different books. And I'd read, some, I'd read, you know, William O'Neill and David Ryan and Market Wizards and different things like that. So I and uh, had read some IBD. Uh, so I had some ideas. But the reason I'm still trading, you know, in sort of the swing style or growth type stocks is because over time I have a statistical edge in doing so. And, and so, and, and so, so Mark, what are some of the, the stats that everyone should be tracking uh, to get better and get an idea of what works for them? Exactly. Yeah. Great question. So I always encourage people, first of all, when it comes to tracking, you can't cherry pick. Yes. <laughs> so you have to track everything. 
and I'll give you an example. Um, so everything, every single trade I make in the portfolio has a bucket that it goes in, meaning it has, for lack of a better word, its own Excel sheet where it's win-loss ratio, average win, and average loss okay. is calculated. So right there, you need to know what your, call it your batting average or your win percentage, however you want to think about it. You know, wins divided by total trades. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if, you, if you won five of your last 10, you're 50% right now. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. You need to track that, and then you need to track your average win, average loss. Uh, I would encourage people to do the average win, average loss, not in dollars. Okay. And there's a couple of reasons for that, which we can get into if you want to. Definitely, yeah. So the, the reason I say don't use dollars, one is because dollars uh, have much more of an emotional pull on people, uh, especially as your account grows, which we all hope uh, that it will. Yes. Meaning that if you say, you know, I lost 1%, that doesn't have nearly as much emotional impact as I lost. Pick the dollar amount, Arusha, and it can vary widely between people. It can be a thousand dollars can drive somebody crazy. It, you know, it can be a million for somebody else. Whatever. Um, so generally speaking, when you track trades, and if we're talking about stocks, I would do it in one of two ways. I would either track the actual gain in terms of percentage basis of that stock. So if you made ten percent on the stock you put it down as a 10% gain. Okay. And then average, you know, your all your gains. You got a 10, you got a 5, you got a 20 and you average those three out. Even better though is basis points. What I mean by that is total percent gain or loss to your account. And the reason I say that is because that will equalize out all of your position sizing. And if you don't think that you'll trade potentially differently with bigger or smaller size, I think you're naive. Right, because one of the biggest mistakes, even professionals, even myself, I'd make this regularly go, you know what? I had too much on and I didn't trade that the way I should have. Or I didn't have enough on and I let that thing dig into my pocket. Maybe, you know, I gave it too much room right. uh, in terms of a stop because it was a smaller position. You know, these things are really, really important. But if you think in terms of basis points, so the way I would do it is a 1% trade. The other reason I like basis points sometimes is because you can round down to the tenth of a percent, you know. So I, I made 81 basis points. That's 8.81% 8, 8 to your total account on any given trade. And I could tell you, you know, where our where any little bucket of strategies is within our portfolio. And then what you can do is you can take <clears throat> these data sets and study them for patterns within your own trading. And this is sort of... It's almost like a second level um, advantage that you'll have if you track this stuff. Where a lot of people, they don't want to do it one because it is it does seem a little burdensome. And by the way, you know that's what most hard work is. Uh, you know, or right. Edison or something. So like most opportunity looks like hard work and overalls or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's I this like is part of the work you got to be willing to put in, especially when you're starting out though, because. You're not going to have the confidence to know what really works, and studying this stuff will help you. This is something I still review to go, do I have an edge here uh, over you know over any given sample? Maybe you know 
there's a whole lot of questions this raises about, you know, the validity of certain sample sizes and such. But a good example that I had uh, mentioned to you uh, before, Arusha, was, you know, my very first year, I was doing some short-term trading. I did a whole year's worth of trading. Yeah. And made no money. Almost to the penny. You know, it was like I'd done hundreds of trades in this certain strategy, short-term trading. And broke even. Most people would say, what a waste of time. Right. Uh, and it felt that way, certainly. But then I studied all the trades. And I'd taken some notes on them. And this is one other thing I would do. So when you start out, obviously track your wins, losses, average win, average loss. And then if you can, take some notes. Why did you get in the trade? If you, if you have a specific setup that you... Uh, maybe it's a technical, maybe it's fundamental, maybe it's a combination, just write a few little notes because then you can go back through and say you did 200 trades, but you did 40 within this, that, that shared a couple of characteristics. So lo and behold, in this larger group of break-even trades, there was one setup that I just sort of pulled out and I said, well, if I just taken these trades, mm -hmm. where would I be? And the thing looks pretty good. That's a setup I continue to trade today and it's been profitable. I think one year it lost it lost money, but uh, only a little bit, and which was within the realm of statistical probability theory based on the previous tra previous so many years. So it's been profitable, I think, eight out of nine years. Wow, wow. And, and you have to you also try these in a, a number of, cycles too, right? So a number of different uptrends because every uptrend is a, a little bit different too. So so now you'll get a little bit better data set. The bigger the bigger the data set, always the better. And you know, listen, there's a there's a lot in that discussion in terms of there's even some art in terms of how what's the better way to treat certain size data sets and all that. But none of that matters if you don't track it. Right. Yeah. So, so, the, so the, it's sort of like you know, even when I talk about risk management, people are like, oh, well, I use stops. It's like, okay, congrats, you're on first base. Uh, it's it's a little more nuanced, you know, than just just trading with stops. Right. And right. tracking your trades is one of those things. It Just think of it in terms of you can even see some of your own weaknesses. Um, you know, are you choking stuff off too early? Are you letting uh, losses run too much? You know, you'll, you'll see pretty quickly even where – your personal, for lack of a better word, like defects or weaknesses are. Trading is a fascinating endeavor that tends to expose people's inherent flaws. Right. I think Richard Dennis was the one who said uh, speculation is a an upstream swim against human nature. <laughs> it really uh, is. Couldn't be a truer statement. Yeah. And, you know, drawdowns by their very nature, they tend to be trying on people's emotions more so than their capital, both. Um, and they can lead you to do, you know, even some really silly, crazy, goofy things that you wouldn't otherwise be doing. Um, but, you know, studying this stuff, I'm saying it's it's just a, it's a really important tool that's often neglected or people don't want to do it because it's painful. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Mark. Uh, so tracking your trades, it's critical to getting better in the markets. Coming up next, Mark and I will talk about three stock ideas. We'll be back.
Pick winning stocks with MarketSmith. Growth 250 shows you ideas with big potential. View charts packed with key data. Use pattern recognition to see action zones. MarketSmith by Investors Business Daily. Try three weeks for $19.95. We are back with Mark Ritchie II on investing with IBD. Okay, Mark, let's get into some current ideas that are on your radar. The first stock is one that we are all familiar with, Amazon, but this is one that's been taking some time off. Why do you like this one right now? Yeah, a name I'm sure no one has ever heard of <laughs> uh, to get us going here. Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to share, you know, sort of a couple different ideas of different um I guess sizes and flavors, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I think Amazon is really interesting for a couple of reasons, both technically and fun fundamentally. And first of all, first of all, I would say yes, it's a little bit off of the radar now, especially in the last couple of weeks. Because quite frankly, you're somebody who looks at the relative strength line, you go, mm, "This ain't for me." Right. And I totally totally get that. Um, I think it's a valid argument. Uh, but I think if you look at the weekly. Uh, you'll just see this is putting in a pretty decent size, pretty healthy cup and handle consolidation. Um, and it had a huge move. And, you know, even off of, you know, sort of that bear market, you see it it handled it pretty well. And then volume is just kind of starting to come in on this right hand side of the chart. If you're somebody who, you know, watches some of those uh, consolidation or dry dry up in volume type things. Mm -hmm. um and then one of the things I really like that is sort of a nuance within this chart that you can't actually see on the chart, but if you're watching the stock, um, on the earnings, this was uh, October 24th. Yes. On the, 20, on the 20, they announced, yeah, after on the 24th, they actually put in a huge shakeout, which isn't on the chart because the shakeout occurred in the after hours uh, after they announced. So... They they went as low as I think sixteen twenty sixteen twenty five, and that was really kind of taking out some key uh, areas from the weekly low in June, the weekly low um, in you know late September, early October. Uh huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we kind of call the handle. You don't see it on the chart, and then it opened at about you know sixteen ninety ninety five and rallied immediately. Yeah, which is convincing, and it traded quite a bit of volume. You know, several million shares yep. swapped hands. Well, to me, that is sort of that classic, the strong hands taking out the weak hands. You know, it's that's what you want to see is these charts roll from left to right. You want to see, you know, strong hands absorbing all of, you know, those weaker sellers. So I think right now Amazon can be, you know, pretty, uh, even as it pulls in here, if you want to trade against those lows, 1695, 1685, they've already really been washed out, is is my would be my point. And if we start to, you know, for those who want to be more even conservative, you could wait till it, you know, breaks above 1850. And probably if you want to play this for a, I think a longer term, possibly bigger move, fundamentally, I really like it as well for a couple of reasons. Um, but one is they just did what Amazon has done so many times in the past, sort of sandbag the expectations, um, disappointed, oh, holidays, not going to be that good, and um, you know, writing a, a few things down. So I think the bad news is already priced in there, uh -huh. but I just don't know anybody who 
isn't going to spend more money on Amazon now that one day Prime, which hasn't even gone fully nationwide yet, uh, is rolling out. And, you know, it's very rare that you have a product where you can ask almost anybody you know that's our age, Arusha, yeah. just ask them if, if Amazon doubled their price for Prime tomorrow, would they pay it? Absolutely. And everybody <laughs> I know would say absolutely. Well, we probably should cut that off the podcast. We don't want Amazon to hear about that, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, my point is, you know, it's something that people have just kind of come to depend upon. And Amazon is, they're, they're the classic, um, you know, first mover sort of in everything getting market share. And their addressable market in terms of even some of the, you know, I hate to use the fang names, they're way much, they have much more runway to go. That's interesting. Than, say an Apple, a Facebook, a Netflix, and uh, you know, as a, just to, just to, in terms of the earnings, I think there's a really good chance if you look at, you know, where the earnings really came in last time, it looks kind of similar. We have, uh, I, I think, there's a good chance the earnings could go up quite substantially, especially because they've spent all the money to roll this out and haven't pulled in any of the revenue yet. Yeah. Um, taking same day Prime. As an example, how much more is the average household? It's not that they're going to spend more money in terms of their retail spending. They're just going to spend it at Amazon instead of at Home Depot or Best Buy or Walmart. That's just, again, this is my view. And I also think it's sort of an interesting proxy of the bull market. So this bull market is going to have another leg. I think at some point Amazon is going to join the party again, possibly in a big way. So you have some technicals um, that are setting up pretty nice in my view. So I I think it's certainly worth a look. Yep, and it's it's right near. This is where what you call trading near the danger point uh, for yeah. for Amazon. So very 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 tight stop. If it gets over the two hundred day, that gets more technical uh, reasons uh, that it could be waking up here. Let's get into the second stock, and this is Cogent Communication Holdings, ticker symbol CCOI, and this is a, a mid cap stock. And uh, what do you like about uh, this stock? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the technicals, again, look pretty good. It's a really nice space, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just kind of working through, you know, the right side of a cup here. And to me, there's a couple things I like, but the first one is you sort of saw the biggest volume in the cup, like on a reversal week at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's supportive action. You know, that's what you want. Again, the strong hands kind of supporting the stock. Um, this one has been, you know, if you look at the weekly, it looks kind of choppy. So I, I wouldn't necessarily be holding this for a really big move. It'd be more of kind of a trade. Okay. Uh, but even right here, you know, it comes up the right side uh, and uh, it it pulls in pretty orderly. Volume's starting to dry up on the right hand side. I think, uh, I, you know, full disclosure, I own all three of the names we're talking about, but these are all ones I would add. Not uh, I just I just own them by them. You know, these are these are names I would be looking for spots to add to. I think, though, even if you look at the this little, you know, call it a flag on the weekly, if you waited till new all-time highs to buy and then stopped yourself out, say, at a couple of days ago goes low, you're still looking at, you know, mid to high single digits on a stop, which is pretty conservative. If you want to cheat and find, you know, something on a daily or an intraday to get longer uh, earlier, I think I think it's a decent risk reward. And then the earnings look pretty solid. Um, this isn't uh, a group that I think is you know, I'm incredibly excited about where, you know, there's going to be this rapid earnings acceleration. These guys are one of the bigger players in internet service. I think they're going to continue to do well. And, um, 
I think the chart's kind of showing you that. Yeah, and, and they have the whole 5G trend going on. Also, what I also notice is that their after-tax margins this quarter has really Ooh. jumped. It, it was around you know, 6, 6.9% one quarter, 53 10% this quarter. So they, they might be getting better at managing their business too. Yeah, fun, the fundamentals look really strong. And, you know, it's a, <laughs> you know, as, as you were saying, clearly these guys are, are doing some things right here. Uh, and, you know, a lot of this stuff even... I always like you want the charts in my mind to sort of make sense. I'm not a classical chartist or one of these people that say, well, this chart showing this, therefore this is going to happen. You know, to me, these are just representations of supply and demand. And a lot of times it's just noise that I, I, I don't believe this is again, my view, but I don't believe that you can just, Look at any chart and go. Oh, I, you know, that this is this means that and this means that thing. It's like mm, I don't, I don't see it that way. Yeah. But you know, there are, are some things where when a stock, you know, behave or a chart behaves in a certain way, sort of like with the Amazon example. Um, well, these lows got shaken out and then the stock opened and rallied immediately on strong volume. All well, that tells me someone, you know, of size was stepping up there and willing to take you know, supply at that level. Right. Sort of the same thing here. You know, these cups, you know, in some of these charts or, or different patterns are just produced by, uh, you know, strong and weak hands changing hands. Sometimes, or I would even say rarely, that gives you sort of a tip off. Um, you know, I think it was Jesse Livermore who talked about the line of least resistance. Where mm -hmm. They right. can kind of tip you off to maybe where all things being equal, things are going to go if this continues. Doesn't mean it has to continue. Yes. No, tomorrow we can wake up, everybody gets nervous for any, who knows, any reason, they will sell, you know, hard and blow up all these charts. That's you know? very true. We've all seen that. If yep. you've been doing this long enough, the market can look great, and then for whatever reason, you know, charts, you know, as quickly as they can look pretty, they can look really ugly. You're so. Right. You know, I, I'm only pointing that out to say I, I just think it's it's one of these that looks like it's going through that process, and then you look at the story and you go, "Wow, well, that makes sense." Let's go to the third stock, and this is uh, Bio Delivery Science ticker symbol BDSI, and this is a small cap stock, and uh, they have they have some pretty good earnings going on here, and definitely out of the three, the the strongest on a relative strength basis. Yeah, certainly. This one, again, I own it. I wouldn't buy it here. I want to be clear about that. Yeah, but I think this exciting. is one to watch uh, really as sort of a classic smaller cap, big growth, potential super performer, meaning something that could and should double if things continue. And, you know, it came out of this little consolidation just below five bucks. Uh, really, when the rally kind of started getting going in the overall market late, uh, you know, it was late September. And I haven't sold any of it because, uh, and I don't own a huge position, I'd like to buy more. And I'm waiting for a consolidation. But if you look, you can see big, big volume coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, up, you know, five of six weeks on big volume. The only, uh, you know, prior to the, the last week and a half, only sideways week on lower volume, we put in an inside week and immediately resumed the uptrend. I think one point it was up 13 to 15 days. That's sort of one of those textbook signs for institutional demand. 
And then if you look at the number of funds, you see it right there. You know, on, on MarketSmith, you can see the number of funds are increasing. Um, pretty steadily, yeah. Pretty steadily, and that's what's producing this. But it also tells me that when they're coming in, there's probably there's probably dip buyers. You know, it doesn't mean there has to be. Yeah. But all things being equal, some of those uh, you know bigger players are going to be buying more of this name if it does pull in, which is what produces sometimes these secondary consolidations or these periods where the stock just marks time instead of uh, you know pulling in really hard. And then they have some really interesting things on the fundamental side, sort of the story side. Biotech, as always, you need to position yourself accordingly. You know, they, there's headline risk and different things like that. These guys are really kind of a one-trick pony. You can look into the, uh, the story a little bit, but they really just have uh, one drug that is kind of producing most of their earnings. And it's, it's an opiate, it's not an opiate alternative, but it's a different kind of opiate that, uh, and for those who follow any of the, you know, social implications, there's quite an opiate addiction problem in the country currently, unfortunately. And these guys at least claim, um, that this is a drug that is far less likely, um, to have, uh, people struggle, struggling with addip- addiction, uh, specifically because of the way it's dosed. So it isn't pills. Okay. And it, it isn't one of those things where the doctor gives you, you know, uh, a script that you can abuse for lack of a better word. It's, it's dosed, uh, over long periods of time. Um, and you can read about it a little bit, but it, it you know, reading their last, uh, and listening to their last call, it's pretty clear there's a decent amount of demand and they meet some of the classic, um, you know, O'Neill, uh, biggest winner type, uh, things it's it's emerging from a consolidation showing, showing really good volume has big earnings and sales and then this product uh, is you know in in for lack of a better word potentially high demand I, I just don't think you can discount how far that can go uh, so sort of everything kind of makes sense for this to have a big move and it has that smaller smaller float smaller market cap you know it's under a billion dollar market cap those stocks can have big moves. Right. You know, if you think of it in terms of law of large numbers, yes, it's only, you know, six and a half, seven bucks, but a stock like that can go to 12 a lot easier than a $10 billion market cap can double. You know, this is sort of the law of large numbers. And it's those funds that are going to push it there. Um, and you can even see in the stock's history, it's had some other runs like that. So I think it's one to really be watching, even in this last couple of days, you know, with the market pulling in. Pulled in a little bit, but barely even below last week. You know, went out last week almost. You know, at you know multi-year highs. It's definitely uh, it's definitely a strong mover. So one to watch. Excellent. So there are three ideas to consider. Thanks, Mark, for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week on investing with IBD. Next week, we will have J.C. Peretz on the show. He is the founder of Eagle Bay Capital and also the founder of AllStarCharts.com. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. 
This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.